We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. I am going to hang on. I'm going to end this and then restart and then we'll get started in just a second. Right. Hello, everyone. Welcome in. I am going to be recording our weekly podcast here today. Uh, It'll be a solo pod. Tom will be back with us uh, probably after the weekend. Lakers got a game coming up tonight. Their second one in a row in San Antonio. They are doing a mini Texas tour, played in Dallas and lost there. I was able to attend that game and that was it was a lot of fun as, as a game to observe as a fan. Uh, obviously, the result isn't what I wanted. I was, uh, I guess, blessed to watch the Dante Exum game and then also see like LeBron and AD collectively drop, I think, like 70 points. So it was it was a fun one. I had a blast. Didn't go the right way, but it's, it was the type of game you're looking for as a, you know, someone attending the game and paying to get there. So I had a good time. Hopefully, uh, we have better times than that with the Lakers getting some more wins they've recently and have uh, worked their way up in the standings. Let me see. Where are they today? I know they, they were up a little bit. They're down a little bit. Okay. Right now we're sixth in the, well, tied for fifth in the standings, I guess sixth technically by, by win percentage, but four games behind first place, six and four over the last 10 games, which is what a big chunk of teams around the Lakers in the standings have done 10 and two at home, five and eight on the road should win tonight, but we'll see. There are a lot of guys that may not play. So that may change things, but the Lakers are still, it looks like they're still favored by six and a half points. So they, you know, we would expect them to win. Hopefully they take care of business. And then after that, 
home against the Knicks. There's an away game at Chicago, which will be a fun one to track because I'm sure that will dictate a lot of people's perspectives on certain trade targets. Uh, at Minnesota, at OKC, against the Celtics at home. You know, you got some tough games coming up. So this Lakers team needs to kind of round into form. And as they have begun to do so, especially on the defensive end, I wanted to take this time and walk through some of what I'm seeing from a data perspective, both with info I'm, you know, logging and calculating, and then also some b-ball index stats and help just kind of paint some context around, you know, we know this guy's been good at this, that guy's been bad at that, but like compared to everyone else in the league, how, how are they looking? And so I've got some player stats, I've got some team stats, I've got some scheme stuff. We'll run through that today. And uh, why don't we start with, you know, at an overall level, the team's net rating 16th. They are second in the month of December. And like, when they are a healthy team, they're winning games. Uh, let, me, let me pull up uh, my tracker here. When the team has, uh, let's see here. When the team is missing fewer than four rotation players, what? How, how about that? When the team is missing four than fewer than four rotation players, they have had an average net rating of plus eight point one. Which let me see how that would grade out on the season. I know this won't quite be apples to apples because other teams, you know, they're also missing guys in certain games. But healthy Lakers, if you take that plus eight point one net rating and apply it to the full season, that's third best in the NBA. So we are seeing when this team is healthy, they're looking good. And just unfortunately, we haven't been able to see them as healthy as we would like. Uh, obviously, you've got some injuries you're working with today, but team's heading in the right direction. Gabe Vincent will be back at some point soon as well. Jared Vanderbilt is back now. You know, you're working in the right direction. At a team level, you're performing better. You're moving up in the standings. Like, as a fan... I guess as an analyst, like I'm pleased with the form of the team right now. And that's something that goes up and down. I'm pleased with the form of the players. Guys are in shape. I'm pleased with the form of the scheme. It's in a good spot. It's not complete, but it's good for where we are in the season. The thing that carries over and the thing that's set in stone is your record to this point. And the Lakers record to this point is it's good. It, it's good. You're four games behind first place. You're in a good spot to to work from here. We could end up in the same form today if the season would have gone a little bit differently and you have, you know, an extra three, four losses. And then in the standings, you're in a worse spot. So for everything that's going on, I'd say the Lakers are positioned well and they're also playing well. And that's encouraging for me to see. You mentioned to the offense on the year, 21st best offensive rating, points per hundred possessions. Uh, you want to be top 10 here to be a title contender. You want to be top 10 offense, top 10 defense. When you look at finals teams over the past, at this point, it's a little over a decade, almost exclusively teams that are top 10 in each of those make the finals. Uh, if you are, I think Denver was like 11th in defensive rating in the regular season. But like, other than a couple outlier teams here and there, it's a really, really high percentage of teams that get to where you want to get to are top 10 teams on both ends of the court. The Lakers 21st on the season. 17th in December. They're heading in the right direction, but they're not there yet. On the year, when we break it down a little further, they've been the ninth best shooting efficiency team. That's very good. Uh, 12th in December, so a little bit of a step back. Their free throw rate, sixth best on the year, 17th in December. So that is an area that needs to get better. And we'll talk about why it's gotten worse and how it can improve in a moment. 
the turnover rate for this team, 21st on the year. That is not good. You need to take care of the ball. This hurts your defense as well. 14th ranked in December. Like, okay, we want to keep getting better there, but that's okay. And then from an offensive rebounding standpoint, 29th on the year, although the team has been 16th in December. If this can be a team that has a good shooting efficiency and free throw team, and then you're around average as a turnover and offensive rebounding rate team, you can be a top 10 offense. We've seen that in the past. So the Lakers need to return to form with the free throw piece, and that doesn't just happen on its own. We want to see the shooting efficiency continue to rise as they build in better sets and they're able to generate more advantages and get open shots and guys are shooting more like themselves. All of that will lead to better shooting efficiency. All of that will lead to better free throw rates as you're able to you know, generate more advantages, space the floor out well. You're going to get to positions where you draw fouls well. And the Lakers this season are playing a style of offense that tends to generate fouls really well. And, and so if people are complaining about the Lakers foul drawing, it doesn't just happen by accident. It is something that at a team level with the players that they have and schematically, you are operating in a way that just tends to draw more fouls. When we look at the shot locations, when we look at the play types, the team is doing things more that normally draw more fouls. When we look at like in the half court, how frequently are the Lakers getting to the rim? 40.6% of their shots are at the rim. That's second best in the NBA. They are getting where they want to be to draw fouls well. So things like that, that is really encouraging. This isn't a team that takes a lot of threes, and we want the percentage to go up. You know, the rate, it would be nice if it went up a little bit. But the fact that they don't take a lot of threes, those are shots you're not generally drawing fouls on. So you're replacing those with other looks that you are generating fouls well on. So that is an element, one lens through which to analyze this team. They've done a good job in that regard from a shot profile standpoint, as well as a play type standpoint. They're doing what they should be good at, and they're doing what will generate good looks and, and higher free throw rates. Now, some of it will draw, you know, generate more turnovers, but it's that's kind of the give and take. This isn't a super high passing volume team, which is a big red herring. You shouldn't care about passing volume. Never, ever, ever. When you look at the passing data that has been tracked for a little over a decade, has passing volume had anything to do with offensive efficiency? It doesn't matter. You can pass the ball for many reasons. Sometimes because you've broken down the defense and you've drawn help and you're finding an open player. Other times because you've got nothing going on. So it's good to, in general, move the ball. If you're a team that's just got a bunch of ball hogs, that's bad. But using passing volume itself as a way to try to analyze how your team is, is performing as a, uh, you know, breaking down the defense, moving the ball sort of team. That's, that's not really where the, the value is. And so that's, that's the piece to me that like, I don't, I don't care. The thing I do care about, and, it, and this is something that when you do stack up all the data over a decade, this does correlate very strongly with offensive efficiency. It's the, assisted um the what what is it the pass percentage that leads to assists which of course if you're going to get an assist the shot went in but what percentage of our passes are driving good offense the lakers this year rank second in that pacers are first denver's third dallas is fourth celtics are up there milwaukee's up there you've got good teams and good offenses up there and when you look year after year this is the leaderboard you want to be high in i don't care where we are in, in the passes made leaderboard so looking at all that, being a lower pass team, but running actions at a high rate should generate good advantages while also mitigating turnover rate. 
If you're passing a bunch, that's more opportunities to turn the ball over. So I'm not all that worried there. From a rebounding standpoint, we're seeing the team perform better now that Rui's back, that Vando's back. You've got more general size. You're able to crash the boards more. You have more advantages from a height standpoint. That is good to see. And we're seeing the team's offensive rebounding rate 16th in December. That is much more like what I was hoping to see. They're definitely not the second worst offensive rebounding team. I should say the roster isn't. So you should be able to do better there. They are doing better there. If they keep doing this, that, that number is going to rise. At an individual level, we can look at like AD. His mid-range shooting was below his norm for much of the year. And then this past like week or so has been like crazy good, like way better than we should expect, but just white, white hot. And it's, you know, overall now he's at a place where he's about average uh, just because he's taken such a high volume recently of the mid-range shots and he's done so well on them. So his mid-range shooting has returned to form. His shooting at the rim, other than that little dip for like two, three games where he was playing through the hip injury, he's been fine. He's been really good at the rim. Torian Prince, his three-point shooting has continued to rise. He's now at, what, 39% on the year? Over 50% the last 10 games? Austin Reeves has risen a bunch as well. Um, We're seeing guys get more towards their norm from a shooting standpoint. Once Gabe Vincent is back and he gets higher volume, he's, of course, going to shoot better than 7% from three as well. So we're, we're starting to see as the sample size grows, we're seeing data that looks more like we would expect to see. Some areas, like shooting at the rim, it's pretty stable. You're, you're not really, there's, it's not a high variance situation where we see guys shoot, you know, 20% worse than we'd expect. And then all of a sudden they turn it around. That's an area that's more stable with the mid-range shooting. And then especially the three-point shooting, like the further you get from the rim, the lower the field goal percentage on the shot, the higher the variance. And so it takes a really long time to get guys from a long mid-range standpoint and a three-point standpoint to a volume that you can then look at the percentage and trust. So we always want to look bigger picture, look at multiple years, all of that good stuff. And so far we're, we're, we're starting to see the, the three point percentages get to a good spot. There will continue to be slumps for players be the first, you know, five games of the year will probably mean pay mean people pay attention to it a little bit less, but that will continue to happen. There will be guys shooting crazy hot for a couple games and then cool off. Like that's basketball. Welcome to basketball. So We've seen some individual performances rising. We haven't seen any major fallers recently, which is nice. The pick and roll offense on the year is average over the last 10 games. It's it's been in top five form over the last five games. It's been in top three form. The pick and roll offense is cooking and there's still plenty of growth to have there schematically. And that's, what's encouraging to me is you can definitely build in more to attack drop coverage. You can build in more to attack switching. Like there, there's a lot that just from an X's and O standpoint, we've seen Darvin Ham and Chris Gent and this Lakers team do in the past that they just haven't done yet. Actually more so with the drop than the switch beating, but with attacking drop, like for example, with double drag. So far this season, they've pretty much only run just basic double drag. Nothing happening before it, nothing happening after it. If there is anything before it, it's kind of some window dressing. Last year, we saw the double drag and then those two screeners then set stagger screens off it or the first screener receive a screen from the second guy for a veer action or Oklahoma or the first guy uh, set a a pin down screen for the player in the corner. And then the second guy just roll for for veer action. So those two things, the Oklahoma and the veer and even double drag shallow, those are concepts we need to see more of. We've seen them run double drag shallow, I think, twice this year. Um, so that's good stuff. We've seen them use in the past. 
once they get it built in and into the rotation, we're going to see more effectiveness with, with things like that. Um, so we're seeing more and more that the team is finding schematically that's looking good recently. And if you've been at any of the game streams, you know the Horns dive plays and the UCLA cut into the exit screen step up plays. Those have been phenomenal. And we're seeing the team, like they, they use them and they're like, oh shoot, this works really well. And then they've just been hammering it since then. So little you know bits of growth like that have been good to see. And we're just continuing to see the team take, take steps up. So I am very happy in that regard. The scheme is still incomplete, but for where we are, it's a good spot. If it stops here and it doesn't grow anymore, I'm not going to be happy a month from now, two months from now, probably a couple of weeks from now. But for where we are in the year, it's in a good spot. So that, that to me makes me happy and gives me uh, encouragement. And a lot of what I want to see them grow with and add in is stuff that we have seen them do in the past. So that is comforting for me. An element that may keep it out of top 10 form is the fact that Anthony Davis is not, how do I want to phrase this? Because he's hitting everything. I know he's, he's, he's out tonight. Thank you, uh, Boogie, for, for adding that into the, the chat, a tweet from Jovan. Anthony Davis appears to be out tonight. He's sitting in front of his locker in a gray sweatsuit an hour before tip-off. He's not warming up. When he has been playing recently, he's been hitting like every three. <laughs> And like every mid-range shot, not everyone, but a lot of them. And to a rate that is not sustainable. It is not him. It is not something that he's been able to sustain since the bubble on any bubble-sized period of time. So 28 games. He can do it for two, three games. Of course, we're going to see that. We see all kinds of guys do that. Sustaining it is going to be the challenge. His shot profile, though, which is a more stable thing, and that tells us more about the environment in which he's playing, how he's being used, like his role, the scheme, and the lineups around him. And then, and then some of his individual tendencies as well. He has shifted recently, the past three games, from being more of a rim-centered player with some mid-range and a three every now and then to he's about doubled his rate of threes from 5% to 9% of his shot diet. His mid-range shooting has gone up as well, and he's getting to the rim much less. He's only, only about half of his shots are at the rim now instead of about 60%. And that's a, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. If it, like That is 10% of shots that you are going to have a lower field goal percentage on. You are going to get fouled less on. You're going to have a worse chance for an offensive rebound on. You are going to help you know uh, win the war of attrition with fouls, getting the other team's guys in foul trouble on. Like All of those things, shooting at the rim is good. It, it drives the free throw rate, which we've seen drop off. That directly you know, correlates with Anthony Davis no longer dominating at the rim the way we've seen. And when we look at maybe why that is, I think an element of it is Jared Vanderbilt's back. And Jared Vanderbilt has added a lot of value to this team defensively. And he is currently playing most of his minutes at the end of the first and third quarters, which Anthony Davis also plays. Um, I think we need to Switch up Vando's minutes a little bit. I don't, I'm not pitching for him to play less. I am not pitching for him to start, which he's currently not starting. So this isn't, I don't, I don't think this is a big deal. If you're like, oh no, he needs to make sure he's guarding good players. We see a lot of teams play, if they've got like two stars, they'll start them together, they'll close with them together. And then in between, they'll, they'll kind of stagger them. So off the bench, you can still have an opportunity to impact the game as an on-ball defender. I, I think that is a, a fear of people that isn't fully warranted. If you like go pull up rotation maps for, you know, Denver and the Clippers and Boston and all these different teams. 
there will be plenty of, you know, a high percentage of Vando's minutes, he'll still be able to lean on some of his best skills, even if he's coming off the bench. Now, if you can move his minutes from the end of the first and third quarter over to the beginning of the second and fourth quarter, I think that is going to directly help Anthony Davis and the Lakers offense. And here's why. When AD has been playing and Vando has been off court recently, AD's shot profile has been normal. And he's still hitting his threes. He's still hitting for mid-range. But the shot profile is normal. He's still getting to the rim. He's still scoring well at the rim. If you can give us more of that guy instead of the guy that we've seen, and this isn't a this year thing. This isn't a small sample size thing. This has been all of AD's career as a Laker. When he's playing with another non-spacer, as Jerry Vanderbilt is, he becomes more of a jump shooter. And that's bad. He's the guy we want at the rim all the time on offense, rolling and cutting and getting dump-offs and driving, you know, catching on the move off a down screen and turning the corner. Like, those are the things you want from him. And when he is needing to be a jump shooter, because you've got another guy out there who's being ignored, and and from my tracking, and I've tracked each of these games, Vando's being ignored ignored approximately 50% of the half-court possessions he's on. He's out there. And among those 50% of plays, the rate at which the Lakers are countering that in some meaningful way is very minimal. And so you have a tactical problem right now. And I think there are tactical solutions to that problem. But if we think through what, you know, what some of that does look like, where let's say he's in the corner and his man sagging off of him, like, how do you, how do you counter that? Well, you can screen for someone else, set an exit screen, for example. Well, you're setting an exit screen during a set play. And that is something that presents you one scoring opportunity. And you've got a window of like two to three seconds to make it work. And if you don't make it work, the advantage is over. And for the rest of the possession and all the possession before that, you're still in the same problem. And so that is why, you know, there are X's and O's answers, but they are answers that briefly address a window of a possession, not the entire entirety of a possession. And so that is, you know, where the gravity can still be problematic and why, you know, I think the leaders can do better with this, but in addition to that, I would just much rather move Vando's minutes to the start of Q2 and Q4 when 80's off court and make it so that instead of him playing like 80% of his minutes with 80 also out there, it's a much lower percentage. Now he can still play a little bit with 80. It just needs to, that, that percentage needs to shrink. You need to stagger them better. And looking at the rotation map, it looks like a doable thing. You'd want to shuffle a couple things around with different guys, but you, if you want this offense to be as good as it can be, you cannot be handicapping your, your best or second best offensive player like this if you want to be a top 10 offense and a true title contender. So it is something that I've noticed, and maybe they'll just hope it gets better. Maybe they'll try to implement more tactical solutions. Maybe they'll take the simple route and just try to finagle the minutes a little bit. And I think you can still do so while having Vando impact the game and still play as much as he plays as he's playing right now. So it's not an anti-Vando thing. It is a, what is best for the Lakers? What is best for Anthony Davis? What is best for Jared Vanderbilt as well? And, and to me, that is the simple tweak. And then on top of that, you know, using more dribble pitches, using more exit screens, using more pin and flare screens, cutting if his man leaves him, all sorts of different things that, you know, I've drawn up and will continue to draw up when I've got the whiteboard in front of me. For now, I'll just say, you know, if you followed for a while, you're familiar with what those are. And if not, Keep, keep showing up to the game streams and, and you'll see me drawing those up on playback. So those are some of my thoughts schematically. Some of the guys that have been rising and falling, some of the like team level success. Let's take a look at some of our basketball index data. And 
I am grabbing this and, and taking a look at, uh, let's see here, let's look at playmaking first, because I think playmaking is a, an important factor. And there's some interesting data here. We see LeBron James in our playmaking talent metric ranked fourth in the NBA, A plus grade. And he's got an A grade for the passing creation volume stat. So, so looking at the rate at which he's generating potential assists, we, we pad this, of course, to deal with small samples. He has an A plus in passing versatility. He is finding guys, guys all over the court and making all sorts of different passes. That is very good to see. His passing creation volume, so the expected efficiency on the looks he's generating for teammates is at an A+. That is very good to see. So all of that's very good. His passing efficiency is low. It is an F. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we're seeing this. Like I'm feeling this with, with watching the games, watching the film. He's turning the ball over more than you would want to see with his passes, even accounting for the volume, the versatility, the quality, the, the ball down all those things that that's accounted for in this. He's still a little bit higher than you'd want to see. So if he can, if he can rein that back in, save a live ball turnover a game or so, he would do much better in this stat. And, and I mean, he's already fourth in the NBA right now. So he's in a pretty good place. His quality is second best in the NBA. The versatility first in the NBA. So he is near top of the league in some of the key, key parts of this metric. And Really, the only area, I mean, the efficiency is not where you want it to be. And then the volume's an A rather than an A+. And that speaks to the fact that he's been used as an off-ball guy a little bit. And he's being used in ways where he's, you know, stampede cuts and as a role man and as, you know, doing other things other than just like standing around. So I wouldn't say he's being misused on ball, but they're mixing in some on-ball with the off-ball. The next highest guy grading out for the Lakers, and he ranks 12th in the NBA, is D'Angelo Russell. His volume grade is an A. His efficiency grade is also poor, an F. His quality grade is an A+, 16th highest in the NBA. His versatility is a B+. Overall, really high. Very, very good. Top, top line playmaker. And where we've seen him impact the game less as a passer have been very specific situations. And it's not just this generic general idea of like when the games matter more, he goes away. No. What, why? Like, why? Where within that? Because not all the games is that happening. We've seen some great games from him. We've seen certain situations in the playoffs where he was a high-impact playmaker. It has to do with the X's and O's. It has to do with the scheme. And he is someone that, when we think about how he impacts the game against drop coverage, he's a great pull-up three-point shooter. And that is something that is, you know, evident. Uh, unfortunately, last year in the playoffs, in a very anomalous way, he wasn't, and it was very different from how he had shot in the playoffs in the past and how he had shot in the regular season pretty much his whole career. So far this year, he's shooting 35% on pull-up threes, six for 17. Not a very high volume, but that is an element that against drop coverage, he's got that. Against drop coverage, he's been a pretty strong mid-range shooter. He's done a really good job getting deep into the paint, which is something that last playoffs he wasn't doing well. He's gotten better at that, and that'll carry over. So the pull-up three, it'll be there better than it was last year, of course. The midi and getting deep into the paint, leveraging the fact that AD's got great roll gravity. He's done great with all that. If you try to stun against him, he's finding the open guys. We see with the passing data, like he is generating high caliber looks for teammates. Against hedging, what is his job? If he's got two on him, we've got a 4v3 off ball. His job is to read the floor and make the, make the right play, make the open pass. And I would say every single Laker player has not batted a thousand, you know, 100% or batted a thousand percent, shot 100%. 
with uh, making the right decisions, but he has, for the most part, done a, done a pretty good job. And he's had a lower turnover rate in his ball screens than just about any other Lakers player uh, for some guys to a substantial degree. So he's taking care of the ball well. He, as we see with the 16th graded out uh, quality on the shots he's generating, generating really good looks. He's got natural built-in advantages and tendencies and reads the floor well for drop. And as I mentioned earlier, the scheme still has some things to add on to there for more bells and whistles. The Against hedging, he fits in great. And you often you get to a hedging defense because of that pull-up three-point shooting. If he were Russell Westbrook, or if he were, I don't know, if he were THT, or if he were someone that like you didn't respect their pull-up three-point game, you're not going to get a hedge. Like Getting a hedge itself, that is valuable to me as a scheme guy. I want to have players on my team as ball handlers that force the defense to hedge because basketball is a game of drawing help and beating help. And what is a hedge? A hedge is drawing help. A hedge is we have a 4v3 off ball now. So as long as you make the right decision and we don't poop our pants schematically, we should be getting like, instead of a 4v3, it should be like a 3v2 or a 2v1 that we need to read and make the right decision on. So he fits into that. Again, switching is where we've seen him fall, you know, fall, not fall apart, but step away really from center stage because the Lakers as a team schematically with how they attack switching don't have a whole lot of pitches uh, like to go to. They don't have a lot in the playbook for this. It's a lot of step up screen, hit the roll man for, you know, a lob or, or seal in a layup or a dunk or for post up. And if not, you don't have a whole lot else. And they haven't built in all the same bells and whistles that like the Pacers do and some other teams do at attacking switching. So this is an area that the Lakers have room for opportunity. And as they get better there, you'll see more playmaking opportunities for D'Lo attacking switching. But if not, I guess it's a good thing you've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the team and, and guys that can attack switches in the post or from the perimeter. Austin Reeves does a pretty good job attacking from the perimeter against switching. So that is an area where as long as you've got those other guys on the court, on the roster, healthy, it's okay that D'Lo's not that dude. If we go into a game and LeBron and AD are both out and the defense is switching, I think the Lakers will perform poorly offensively. And, you know, that's just because that's not where D'Lo thrives. But he does well against the other situations, the other schemes, and you do see that. We saw that round after round in the playoffs. We didn't go into the playoffs and everybody was like, ah, time to switch because D'Lo stinks at it. No, because you have to consider LeBron and AD and all the other guys. And not every team even has the personnel to adequately switch. So it is not some sort of like doomsday, like, haha, he can't beat this. Therefore, that is the like the kryptonite for him because it's more at a, about a team thing. This, as the scheme improves, it'll be even better. But even if not, that doesn't mean that D'Lo doesn't matter. Like you can still at a team level beat the switching. D'Lo then just becomes more of a spacer or just a facilitator. And often the Lakers aren't getting the immediate dunker layup off of those seals. They're getting a deep post up with an advantage. And so D'Lo doesn't get the assist, but he got the ball to where it needed to be. So as we look at this data, that's something that stands out to me. Like he's done a pretty good job this year. Working our way down the next highest guy in playmaking talent for the Lakers has been Anthony Davis with a C plus grade. And his quality is a B, versatility is a B plus, efficiency is a B plus, volume's an F. That's the thing holding him down. He's not someone the team is funneling offense through. Now, there was a stretch of games somewhat recently where the team was funneling more through him. And they were leveraging more as a, a post guy and they were countering help well and all that good stuff. The past two, three games, we have not seen him leveraged as a passer. 
he has four total potential assists in half court situations over the past two games. And that's the lowest over any two game stretch he's had this season. So it seems like he's not going to play tonight. Um, But once he is back, you need to see him leverage it a little bit more because he's making the right reads. As long as the team is, you know, running the right help beaters, it's a good, it's a good form of offense. Um, But his impact as a passer is a little down. Moving on to the next guy, it's Austin Reeves. He has a C grade. And, And again, these grades are compared to all players. This isn't, just guys with high minutes or just like on ball guards or anything see among all players and to help us understand how reefs you know fits in with his peers he has been used this season in a let's see here what was his what's his offensive role um offensive role for austin reeves primary ball handler among primary ball handlers and this is uh one, one of the stats that we have looking at their role adjusted assist points for 75 possessions, he's an F. I'm sorry, he's not an F. He's a C minus. He's a C minus. Overall, with the, with the passing creation volume, he's an A, and part of that is just because of the role. Compared to others in that role, he's been a C minus. So about an average volume, average load, slightly below average load passer for a primary ball handler. He has F efficiency, F quality, and that's that's the big issue that we're, I'm seeing here. And B versatility. That does not profile as someone who is ready to be the primary ball handler or the the lead playmaker i think he has operated well within sets we are seeing him do really well as a pull-up shooter he this year 15 for 31 that's 48 percent on his pull-up threes it was something that he added uh, a bit we, we saw from last regular season to the playoffs he upped his rate from the playoffs into um the international play where he played for team usa this summer he upped his rate and for the regular season, the playoffs, and FIBA play, he was shooting a good percentage. He's continuing to shoot a really good percentage, and, and he's upping that rate. So this is that development I was calling to see from him, and, and I think we're seeing that. So that's good. You, you know, he's doing good things. He's drawing fouls in mid-range, as, as he likes to do, and we'll get to that with the, the drive foul drawn rate. But as long as the efficiency and quality are F grades, again, compared to all players, he doesn't have the skill I would feel comfortable with if LeBron or D'Lo were to be injured and go out, I don't feel comfortable with Austin Reeves, you know, needing to carry the team on his back as a passer. I think you really need to adjust your style of play a little bit if that were to be the case. But he's done, you know, as the team's fourth guy here, he's he's done fine. Um, Max Christie, D minus volume, F efficiency, C versatility, C plus quality. Gabe Vincent, in the little time he played, C-plus volume, C-minus efficiency, C-plus versatility, D-plus quality. Uh, those guys graded out as C-minuses overall. Um, just for reference, just because I, I know this is a talking point, Zach Levine has a D playmaking talent grade, uh, an F role-adjusted volume, B-plus not role-adjusted, A-minus efficiency, B-plus versatility, F quality. So... You know, he's making some passes. He's not making many passes for a guy used the way he's used. He is not generating good shots. He's he's not doing a whole lot in, in this area. But for what the team does have on the roster, they've, they've got some strong options. They've got some good ball movers. As long as, the te- as long as the team is healthy, I feel good from a playmaking standpoint. And in general, not just Levine specific, but in general, if you're looking to make any sort of trade and you are sending D'Lo out, you do, like, I think you need to be bringing back some good. I don't feel like, 
and you know maybe if you're bringing in like a phenomenal player in every other regard other than playmaking it could still work but there's a vulnerability there that concerns me especially if you have to go through the whole regular or like half the regular season more than half the regular season that way i don't think you can only look at like hey deep in the playoffs against one type of defense we saw delo not play as well therefore his playmaking actually doesn't matter i think that's the wrong read on the situation Moving to three-point shooting, I'll just run through some of the some of the notable guys. Uh, LeBron, A-minus shot-making. D'Lo, A-minus shot-making. Reeves is at a D-plus. He's been rising recently, and he's at an A-minus three-point shot creation, and he's been hitting the pull-up threes well. So his overall three-point shooting talent grade is a B-plus. Uh, Print, Prince, C-grade for shot-making, and it's been very much rising. Christie's at a D. AD is at a C. Reddish is at a D. Um, looking at... Finishing grades, again, compared to all players, uh, rim shot creation, so the rate at which you are self-generating shots at the rim, LeBron's an A. AD is a B+, D'Lo's a B+, Reeves is a B, Reddish is a B-, Prince is a C, Christie's a C-. The shot making, LeBron's an A, AD's an A-, D'Lo's a B, Reeves is a B+, Reddish is an F, Prince is a D, Christie's is D+. The um, drive foul drawn rate, this is an interesting one. Uh, Reeves is at a B. LeBron's at a B. AD's at an A minus. Reddish is at an A. In general, drives aren't a high foul drawing thing. Uh, Dilo's at a C. For certain guys, they're just kind of grifting and drawing a bunch on them. That's not what we're seeing with the Lakers. When we look at, let's see here. What else do we have? Oh, let's look at three-point shot quality. I didn't mention that. So LeBron is at an F. AD is also at an F. Reeves is at a D plus. Those guys are all taking really hard threes. Christie's at a B minus. D'Lo's at a B minus. Prince is at, at a B plus. And then Reddish is at an A minus. So the, the higher quality can help drive your percentage up. So those are, I don't know. You can go play around with the, the grades on B ball index, but just wanted to shout out some of those that stood out to me. That is a look at the team's offense. And um, I don't know. Ran through some of the players, some of the scheme, some of the talent grades, stuff like that. Now, defensively, I think there's a lot to be encouraged by. Offensively, we're seeing guys run into form. The scheme is getting into a good spot. I think you just need to make some tweaks with, you know, adding in more to the playbook to address certain specific holes that some of which you've addressed in the past. Others, I think we do need to see actual growth in the team. We need to see them to, you know, shuffle the minutes a little bit to address that Vando piece I was talking about. And then if you do those things, I think you're going to see a better Anthony Davis and a more impactful team. You're going to see more shots at the rim, more free throws drawn, uh, continue to see that high offensive rebounding rate or higher, I guess, normal-ish offensive rebounding rate. Want to continue to see good shooting efficiency and, you know, sustain that growth we've seen in terms of like not turning the ball over as much. Now, defensively, just like with offense, you want to be top 10 for defensive rating in the regular season to be a team with, you know, two true title contention aspirations. The team has been seventh on the year. They have been second best in the month of December. And in that month of December, up until like today, I think we've been a fairly healthy team. Now I know LeBron being out in, in games where you have, you know, two guys missing is for the most part for the Lakers this year, pretty healthy. But when LeBron's one of those two guys, it, it certainly hurts more. But we've seen the team in the month of, of December be more healthy and be able to show us more of what their identity 
is intending to be. And we saw glimpses of it earlier in the year. And I talked about that on pods with the disruption and everything and the versatility. And then when they got really injured again, it all went away. And they kind of went more into a shell on defense, weren't trying to extend themselves a bunch and exert a bunch of energy to be disruptive, knowing they've got like a seven or eight man rotation. It's just hard to sustain that. It's hard to actively be rotating all day long if you don't have much of a bench. With them playing more of a bench, they've been a better team. Um, On the year, we've seen them force the second hardest shots at the rim and the lowest frequency of shots at the rim. This directly drives the fact that they've had the lowest free throw rate conceded and fourth best in December. On the year, they've given up the 10th highest frequency of threes, the 12th hardest threes. It's fine. Um, Shooting efficiency for the team, 10th best in, in a good way. Sixth ranked in December, so it's improving. The turnover rate forced. This is one that on the year, they're 18th, but when they're healthy, it's substantially better. They've been fifth best in December. And when we break that down a little bit with like, you know, like uh, deflections and steals and charges drawn, they're eighth in charges drawn on the season, charges drawn per game. They've been fifth in December, so a little bit better top five. That's really good. They're 11th now in deflections per game, second best in December. And on the year when they've had fewer than three rotation players missing in a game, if you look at their average then with, with only one or two guys missing, they've never had the full team healthy. They've ranked that, you know, that rate would rank uh, second best on the full year. So when they're healthy, this is a team that is not letting you score at the rim. They're drawing, they're not fouling you. They're forcing a bunch of turnovers. And then they're also rebounding. Well, they've had the eighth best defensive rebounding percentage on the season and sixth best in December. So there's no, there's no clear weakness here from a, you know, big picture, high level standpoint. It's not like, oh, well, everything's going great, but we're giving up open threes all day. Like you're not defending the rim uh, and exchanging that for giving up open threes or not giving up threes, but giving up a bunch of shots at the rim. Teams aren't getting to the rim. Teams aren't making shots at the rim. Teams are turning the ball over, which feels the Lakers offense. They are not drawing uh, free throws. Like the team is not getting, you know, not conceding a bunch of offensive rebounds. Now, of course, in individual games, you see, you know, up and down performances with any of these areas, but it's about what can you do over 82 games and then into the playoffs. And right now, to me, this looks like a top, top five defense from a roster and schematic standpoint. You have the roster to be disruptive. You have the roster to be versatile and not just like we're, 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 forcing the team to be versatile, but you've got the personnel for it. And so why that's valuable is a lot of NBA offenses, you know, they don't have pick and roll ball handlers that are great at attacking everything or their scheme, you know, doesn't have an answer for every potential thing a defense can do tactically. And if you defensively scout well and see, oh, they stink at this. And it just so happens we have the personnel to, to run that just like everything else. Like, you are able to make every opponent play against the style of defense they're bad against coverage wise. And you've got the personnel to do it and you're disruptive on top of that. So defensively, I think is really where the strength of this team is currently. They've got size, they've got rotational ability, which I think is a very underrated skill set in the NBA. I was talking to, to analytics personnel on another team about this today. You can try to hedge and you can try to blitz, but if you don't rotate well behind it, you're not going to be successful. And the team hasn't been perfect with that, but they've been so much better this year than they were last year. And it's been because they've removed the guys who weren't good at that 
And they've replaced them with guys who are good at that and generally are larger as well. So the the secondary rim protection, the, the third guy helping over, they're bigger dudes. They're able to get more deflections, get more steals, block more shots, contest shots better at the rim. And that's led to good defense. So I am seeing if they just make a couple tweaks offensively, all of a sudden that half-court shot quality is going to take another leap. And the transition offense has been high volume and it's been decent. Um, even though we've seen a lot of adventures on, on a lot of those plays, there's still room for growth there, but you've still been in a pretty good spot and it should get even better when the defense is fully healthy because then you're generating more turnovers and that just leads to easy offense. So good offense sets up your defense, good defense sets up your offense. And I, overall, like I am pleased with this team. I'm really happy with the roster. I'm happy with where the scheme is. Not everything is perfect. I think the rotations need slight tweaks. I think the the scheme needs slight improvements. And we will see, you know, what Tom and I have been talking about since preseason with the identity for this team and the idea of what they can achieve and how, you know, scary they can be to match up against. So there's a lot that can go wrong. Like if AD goes down for a bit, if LeBron goes down for a bit, this is a worse team. It, you know, if Dio goes down, if, if Reeves goes down, this is a worse team. Max Christie has been a bit up and down. There have been other guys that have been a bit up and down. But, um, I mean, hang on. I'm going to take that off for, for the moment just so it doesn't get in here with the audio. I'll wrap this up and then throw the game on. But I'm, I'm happy. And I think, you know, as we get closer to the trade deadline, I will, of course, look at possible available options. I will be reaching out to content creators with other teams and try to negotiate, you know, Hey, if we were to try to trade for this guy, you know, what would it take and, and negotiate that and see what some realistic proposals may look like. That's something we've done a pretty good job with in the past. And otherwise you can, you know, we, Oh, this, this team's tanking. Oh, we would love your best player. We'll give you our fifth best player. How does that sound? Like there are teams out there that have a ton of draft picks there are teams out, out there that have, you know, several really encouraging, good, younger players that they are also willing to trade. The Lakers aren't, you know, they don't have the best war chest of, of assets to trade. They don't have the best, they won't have the best proposal in a lot of situations. So it may be more moves at the margins. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like. I don't have those names yet. I have not done that analysis yet. As we get closer, I will. For now, I will leave you here with, uh, you know, I know it's, not the healthiest team tonight. If you're not listening live, you probably are listening to this on Saturday or Sunday and you've, you've already watched this game, but check us out, get in the discord, DM me, Tom, or the podcast account, uh, proof that you've subscribed to the YouTube and that's free. We'll get, we'll get you in there and you can continue the discussion with us there. Once you're in there, you can check out the different tiers we have available, all the different channels. Um, if you're at various tiers, you get, different levels of access, new channels, new, new content. You can double the amount of pods you hear in a month. If you just get to the lower level tier or any of the ones above it, that's five bucks a month. Um, I mean, I was talking to people at some of the higher tiers and like, you know, I, I'll, I'll keep the, the private stuff private, but like helping set people up with opportunities and things like that. Um, Want to shout out friends of the pod, TJ Timotaji, Leo and green, Be- green, blue for being arena sponsors. And then Zach Harris, Cudadio, iPod Shuffle, Omar, Romario, Keneal Mason, and Shabugan in the owner's box. Shout out to the courtside and lower bowl crews as well. We've got a great community. 
and uh, I will log it off here. And let's let's go Lakers. Let's get a win tonight. Thank you, everyone. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.